ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. That's right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Best Seat in the House podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rob Kramer, alongside my co-host, Daniel Bobo Carlin. And Dan, how you doing today, buddy? It's doing fine. Still a little bit shocked with that loss first round. I mean, what could I say? We, if we felt lifeless in that last game, this didn't feel like the Mets all year. This team had a lot of fight in us all year, and then this game we lose. Loss in a blowout. I'm not sure if the guy was cheating or not. I just know maybe it may have been a not a may may have been may have been a, one of one of Buck's not so great decisions that that decision he made. Yeah, yeah, but, I agree. I mean, that was a uh, a hard hard loss to take on uh, this past Sunday night, right after we recorded our bonus show, which people seem to like our bonus show. Dan, how did how did you like doing that? I, I liked it. I thought I thought it went great. I just wish it would have been been right before a better outcome, of course. <laughs> yeah, no but yeah, and I I'd have probably I don't know how my remote survived this one because I may have tossed my remote that <laughs> somehow to break the batteries and everything were still intact. I just dropped it like upset, like I I was like shocked. And it still shocks me. Like it's a little difficult to even look at the playoffs now. Yeah, yeah, and there's so much going on in the playoffs too. I mean, when you look around the league, you got the Phillies in there, the Seattle Mariners, you know, the the Guardians, quote unquote, whatever whatever their new name is, uh, is going against the Yankees. Uh, you know, so that there are a lot of uh, you know big series going on around, but it's just so weird that the the Mets season ended so abruptly. Yeah, yeah, it's like I felt like I sometimes get weary about planning things in October because I know the possibility of my Mets in the playoffs. I don't want to miss it. So it's like difficult for me to make plans in October. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, we don't have to worry about that this year. Believe me, I'm already gonna. I'm already just gonna be at a concert today. Game one of the World Series is gonna be. I'm gonna get to see Bandmate live at. I believe I don't know if I if I pronounce the name of the venue right because I've never been to this venue, Irving Plaza. Yeah, they got it. Yeah, yeah Irving Plaza. And I've got it, and I've probably got some good Dr. Scholl's ready because it's a it's a standing room venue, so I'm gonna have to stand up for a bit for this one, but it's worth it to get to see this band live because I'm. I've been a fan of them. I mean, they're amazing live. I don't know if you've ever watched any other video your videos yourself. Yeah, I've 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 only known them because you've spoken about them. Actually, you brought them up on the show too in the past. And uh, yeah, it's cool that that you're gonna get to uh, see them, uh, you know, over in, at Irving Plaza. And uh, you know, so what what that would be game one of the World Series. You're saying that that that's the same day. Yeah, that's day. As a matter of fact, if I would have had a purchase opportunity for World Series tickets, I was purposely gonna buy the day that would have been game two. <laughs> Very, uh, you know, yeah, it's cool you get to see it, but it also sucks that uh, we don't have to worry about the Mets playing in that game. But, uh, you know, there really is so much going on right now. Um, and we're obviously going to start with the Mets, but, you know, let's give a shout out to our two football teams that are playing great. We're probably not going to talk much about them today because we already covered their most recent games in, uh, you know, this on the uh, bonus show. So if you want to see our take on those games, you can check the bonus show out. And, uh, and you know, also, the, the Jets and the Giants, we'll, we'll probably do a little preview of the Giants against the Ravens this coming up Sunday and the uh, Jets against the Packers at the end of the show, though. Uh, you know, we, we also got to talk about our New York Rangers, who are starting off uh, pretty good so far as they beat the defending Eastern Conference champions, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, to open the, series, uh, the season at Madison Square Garden last night. How'd you like seeing that? That had me cheering after... After that tough loss, the way baseball season ended, I was able to have a moment that I was cheering. The Rangers won. I was, I was going nuts. The whole thing, lifting up my dog, Mister Maloon, again in victory. 
By the way, how you on the on the Isai Dave's on the Davy Max Sports Program, I snuck Mr. Balloon to get on camera for a little bit. <laughs> yes, that is true. By the way, before we do get started, we have to acknowledge what a terrific, terrific appearance you had on the Eastside Dave show. That was so funny. I was watching it live as it was happening on YouTube. And um, the only thing I was upset about was that they didn't have the live chat open, so, or at least on my phone they didn't. So I, I, I couldn't live chat too, but that was such a great show. And you know what, though? I, I do want to take something that Dave said on the show. Um, you know, I, I do want to take it a little seriously, though, because Dave was alluding to the fact on the show that City Field, you know, might have a little curse action going on to it. To be we're, honest, I I agree with him. What do you think, man? We're going to perform an exorcism on opening day, all right? That's, that's the thing. You're right. And 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 for the record, I, I, I am Catholic, so we can perform it, as Eastside Dave was saying. But, you know, the, the thing is, um, I, I do agree with what he said, because when you really think about it, Shea Stadium was where miracles happened. I mean, let's be honest. The Mets clinched the pennant there in 69. They won the World Series there in 69. They, cl they clinched the pennant there in 73. They clinched the pennant there in 86, except for, you know, when they clinched the National League, they, they clinched the NL East pennant in, in, in 86 there. They clinched in Houston in 86. But they won the World Series again in 86. You know, they clinched in 88 there. They clinched in... Like every way you can imagine, the, the Mets clinched it. You know, even the, the National League in 2000, the National League East in 2006, <clears throat> they did all that at home in front of the fans and everything. Ever since City Field opened, it seems like anytime they have a really big game at City Field, they, they don't win it. I mean, let's go back to the 2016 Wild Card game where they where they also got shut out. They didn't even show up in that game. They didn't show up in the, in the biggest game of the year. Uh, you know, um, in game three of this one, and the offense didn't even show up at all in game one. I mean, let's be honest. The We've seen big deficits erased by really, you know, good offenses in this postseason so far. I mean, the freaking Mariners came back. They were down 8-1. <laughs> the, the, the Mets just, granted, Max Scherzer didn't put him in a good spot. The Mets offense didn't back him up at all. And then you, you think of all the other times they've clinched in the city field era, it's been on the road. 2015, they clinched in Cincinnati. You know, they clinched the NLDS in LA. They clinched the the pennant that year, the National League in Chicago. Even and then, right, Philadelphia in Philadelphia in 2016. Exactly, <clears throat> you're right. Me, because I was there. If you remember, <laughs> good call. I was, so, kind of, even though it was on the road. They kind of had me there. They had had me present there for that. Also, I'm under the weird conspiracy that I got to attend more than the number of the year is next <laughs> year. So, here I think maybe it wasn't. I got to attend at least 24 games next year. I like the commitment. How, how many games did you go to this year? I believe it was. I, I don't remember the stat. I think maybe 22 during a regular season. Okay, so you're like even. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe 23 counting the regular season. I, I got to look up the exact number. I'm just just remembering by heart. I got to look up the stats again on the ballpark app because it listed on the ballpark app the amount. You know how that app works. That is the cool thing about this app, that they do show all your stats like that. I love that. Yeah, so I'll be able to list what I attended in a – how many games I attended in 2020 and 22, but also also noted that I do count double headers as having attended two games. If I attended both ends of the double header, that means that one day I attended two games. I agree. I'm with you on that. As a matter of fact, you remember me and you attended a double header back in 2019. Yeah, exactly. I remember, I remember that game. That game just felt like shades of Shea stadium the way, that come from behind one just reminded me of those times with Mike Piazza. Yeah, that was great. The, Jacob DeGrom, you know, he he won the game in the day game. And then Pete Alonso <laughs> hit a big home run in the nightcap, and the Mets beat the Marlins two straight. Yeah, yeah. and I remember that come from behind one that he didn't even Pete hit that home run. Mm -hmm. That It felt like sunning out of the Shea Stadium years of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that 
still remember, like, maybe it was, I was around 18 years old, maybe. I was remember this game in a Shea Stadium, Mets against the Braves. Oh, yeah, yeah. the 10-run the comeback? Yeah, I was there for that. I was in the upper deck of Shea for that. That is awesome. I, I remember I was watching that game at home, and that that's one of my favorite games ever. Yeah, that, that ballpark felt like it was shaking that. <laughs> I remember, like, Shea felt like it was shaking. That city was packed that night. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that was, like, late was, June in 2000. Yeah, that, that else getting to see that game and getting to be at that game in person. I'll yeah. never I'll get that memory. Like, what, some of the, one of those amazing memories I felt like seemed to always happen when Piazza was in his prime. Yeah, I, I still can't believe that Bobby Cox left Terry Maholland into face Piazza there. <laughs> you know, Piazza hit that line drive home run right down the line, and as soon as it came off the bat, you knew it was gone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great times. I hope to see I hope to see those put even more in the future. And hopefully we do the right thing and re-sign the Grom. Yeah, I mean well. You know, we we will actually get into that because there there is so much to talk about with that. There are so many free agents for the Mets now. I mean, let's you know let's cover the the series real quick. Obviously, we talked about it in the on the bonus show. The Mets got knocked around in uh, Scherzer's only playoff start. They lost seven and one that first game or whatever the final was or something like that. I think seven and one. Then the next night, the Mets actually came back and won that game uh, seven to three. Behind Degrom, who uh, you know he didn't have his best stuff, but he got the job done, got the W. Um, can't can't complain about that. Uh, yeah, and then game three, old Degrom, he always even when he's ha- even when he having his best day, he still keeps the team in the game. That's what we asked for, and he delivered. Yep, he had that bulldog mentality and got the job done, and that's all you can ask for. You know, everybody wants perfection out of Jacob Degrom, but. <laughs> I'm not going to complain if in a playoff game with your season out on the line, he pitched good enough through 99 pitches and gutted his way through against a, a really good lineup. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and complain about that. That's the it factor that makes the Grom the great pitcher he is, is his ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. You know, I'm- I left. I would feel as devastated as those people in 1977. Did I get the year correct? Nineteen seventy-seven. I forget if it's seventy-six or seventy-seven when the when that tragic day happened. What when uh, when when Seaver left? Yeah, was it seventy-seven? Seventy-seven. Yeah, June fifteenth, nineteen seventy-seven. You're right. Yeah, I do not want to see a repeat of that. I hear plenty of Met fans older than me talk about how sad they were. I do not want that to happen here. And I trust Steve Cohen, who grew up a Mets fan and stuff, knows how tragic it was and does not do that. Yeah, I mean, and there are so many decisions to make that, fuck it, let's just get into it right now, man. Um, I mean, so obviously me and you are, are both for bringing back Jacob DeGrom. You know, they, they have to figure out a way to get it done. Um, I, I recently was reading a story where they said that they cited someone close to DeGrom who said – that at the beginning of the season, he thought that there was a 0% chance the ground was coming back here, which shocks me, actually. I didn't think that at any point the ground was hell-bent on leaving here, but apparently earlier this season he was. And now that same person came back and said that at the end of this season, he gives it a 50-50 shot that, the, that he comes back to the Mets, which is also a little surprising. Now, have you heard that, Dan? And if you haven't, what do you think about that? I heard that that's going to be 50-50. I feel if DeGrom gets the right offer, he'll come back. And I know Steve Cohen. He's not insanely crazy like George Steinbrenner was, like call these team, these executive meetings after. But he's taking this seriously that he wants to try to win and better what happened this year. Yeah. I mean, they won 101 games. And came up small in the it, really. If you look at the six biggest games of the season, the three against Atlanta and the three against San Diego, the Mets went one and five. One and five, terrible. 
terrible. You can't you can't do that if you're gonna um, you know be a winning team. And let's just hope that you know as many of the players said after this, this was just the first step. Because who knows? Let's uh let's give Steve yep. the benefit of the doubt, right? And the first step is going to be in this off season. It has to be yeah. He, he has to make those big moves during the off this off season. If if we're going to show that, no. I mean, <clears throat> the three players that I feel are key factors in that that might you want to might want to resign is of course the Grom, possibly Diaz, and even a Nimo. Also, I think what's also going to play a factor. I don't know how much this is going to be true or how much Steve Cohen's willing to go all in on this, but Aaron Judge is a potential free agent, so I feel it wouldn't be wouldn't make it would only make sense for him to even try to kind of take a you know take a pulse on what it might take to get him here. That also that also might depend on Brian Cashman because I'm sure Brian Cashman knows maybe how a. Uh, much of a real devastating loss that could be Judge not returning to the Yankees. So that could play a factor. Yeah, I don't expect Judge to leave the Yankees, but I do expect the Mets to at least try to talk to him. And, uh, hey, maybe just like you know, a lot of people didn't think the Mets could convince uh, Max Scherzer to come here, but they did. And, you know, who knows? If you throw enough money at somebody, anything's possible. And... You know, with, with with the Mets, you did mention a couple of key names. Now, you mentioned Edwin Diaz, who uh, rumors are so far what I've seen guys like Andy Martino from SNY report is that the Mets are interested in bringing him back and Edwin Diaz is interested in coming back to the Mets. And supposedly this is a deal that has one, one of the best chances to get done before free agency begins after the World Series. I think the World Series, it, it's 10 days or a week after the World Series free agency begins. So the Mets would have that window technically between now and uh, the end of their, uh, you know, the end of the World Series. So the the Mets do have this chance to bring him back. And Andy Martino, at least, is saying that that, that is a possibility. Brandon Nemo, I think the same thing. I think if the Mets value their culture at all, you know, um, this is uh, a a word we've heard nonstop. Um, you know, this is a, a guy that you produced. You know, I heard the post-game interview, which I don't even know why I left this stuff on just to watch, maybe just to torture myself. But I was watching a lot of that post-game stuff after the Mets lost. And to see Brandon Nimmo 45 minutes after the game ended, still in his uniform, walking around the clubhouse, just looking around, taking it in, hoping you could tell he was hoping that this wasn't the last time that he was walking through the Mets clubhouse, you know, at least the home side of the Mets clubhouse. And um, you could tell this is a guy that just, he, you literally, they had to rip his uniform off his back probably that night when he was getting into bed, his wife probably wasn't going to let him in for wearing that crap. You know, he, he, you could tell this is a guy that bleeds orange and blue and you don't want to let those guys go. And he, was one of the few guys, I mean, obviously he didn't really do anything in uh, in the final game three because uh, the only guy that did anything in that game was the Pete Alonso solo uh, base hit. That's the only thing he did. The, uh, that's the only thing anybody did that that, that game. But, you know, Brandon Nemo had a pretty good series. So I, I think it's pretty vital to bring him back, right, Dan? Yeah, I, I fully believe so. I mean, I, I hope this guy sticks around. This is a guy I've seen come up in the minors. Like I remember him when he was in the Cyclones when he, when they were then a low A ball team. So I saw Brendan Nimmo. He was just out of high school. Yeah, just yeah. Player and, and and I got I got pictures with him and stuff back then. Yeah, he, and, and you know a lot of people criticized the Mets when they took Brandon Nimmo because you mentioned he was just out of high school. This is a guy whose high school didn't even have a baseball team. He had to play, like, you know, I, I forget the name of the league, but whatever league he had to play in, like, he had to specifically go out of his way to play in a special league uh, because he loved baseball so much. You know, growing up rooting for the Colorado Rockies over there in Wyoming because they didn't have a baseball team in Wyoming. That was the closest team he played for. You know, this is a guy that loved baseball and plays baseball the right way 
and the Mets took a chance on, and he even mentioned that, how, you know, it meant a lot to him that the Mets took a chance on him and drafted him in the first round when a lot of other teams wouldn't have taken that chance. Who knew what, when, what Brandon Nimmo was going to you know, become? You know, this is a guy they drafted in 2011, and he didn't crack the big leagues until 2016 and really didn't establish himself until about 2018 when he had that breakout season. So, you know, I, I think Brandon Nimmo believes that he owes the Mets at least, um, you know, the opportunity to, to bring him back. And let's just hope the Mets take him up on that. This is a guy who scored 100 runs and had a great season for the Mets this year. Yeah, exactly. I hope I hope he I hope he comes back. He 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 was a great player. I hope somehow they could they could work out a deal and thank God we have an owner that won't that won't shy away from a player having Scott Boris as his agent. Yeah, exactly. Now that's not, you know, Scott Boris isn't a four-letter word anymore uh, you know, around the Mets because it it doesn't matter. The Mets can pay guys as much as they they want, really. And, um, you know, one of those guys actually, too, I'm not sure if he's a Boris client, but an, an, another guy looking to get paid who didn't really pitch too well or come up big at all for the Mets uh, in, in his two biggest starts of the season, Chris Bassett. Now, what do you do? Uh, do you want to bring the band back together and bring Chris Bassett back? Or after what you saw in the two biggest games this season, are you ready to move on? I feel Chris Bassick is a hit is a hit or miss. I feel might be get he might get in on a low deal, maybe. I don't know. He's he's gonna be looking for, you know, pretty decent money. He's, I, I would say he's gonna be looking for anywhere from fifteen to twenty million a season, if not more. Yeah, so I think hit or miss he might be gone. So you're getting like a fifty fifty shot? Yeah, exactly. Him, I really feel, is a 50-50 shot. Mm. Also, it also might depend on what... Like, I'm assuming we re-sign DeGrom. We might also re-sign some... We might sign some other pitchers on the free agent market. Sure. I don't know who's on the free agent going to be on the free agent market this year. Well, well, there's two other guys, too, that we have to look at in our own pitching staff. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that they both have options that the Mets could pick up. And uh, I think one's a mutual option with um, uh, Taiwan Walker, where I think Taiwan Walker can become a free agent if he wants, but then he and the Mets could also agree to pick up a, a decent option. I want to say it's in the range of 10 to 12 million, which would, you know, I don't mind Taiwan, but uh, I'm, I'm open to, to, to bringing him back. And then same thing with the, um, you know, Carlos Carrasco, who has a, uh, a club option, I believe, on his. So the, the Mets have their decision whether they're going to pick him up for somewhere around $15 million, uh, And then he'll be back for a uh, potential final season with the Mets at the age of 36. Uh, what do you think about those two pitchers, Dan? Would you pick up either of those options if you had a chance or, or, or at least one of them? I don't know what what there is really anything on the market these this year. I feel like pitching's kind of a very thin market during the off season. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, I, I haven't done uh, extensive research on the uh, the pitchers market yet this year. But you know, one guy who I believe can become a free agent. Um, and boy, this would really be throwing all your uh, dice in the middle of the uh, table right there, uh, laying your cards down if, uh, if, if, you did, if you went this route. But Justin Verlander could become a free agent. So is that a guy that you would say, let's try to, you know, get three potential Hall of Famers to top this rotation, with Scherzer hopefully being joined by DeGrom, and then, you know, you try to rope Justin Verlander into that if he can be lured away from Houston or anywhere else, uh, would would you be open to that, or is a forty year old guy in that mix a little rough? I feel Verlander could be on a one year deal, maybe, because I'm not sure how much Verlander has in the tank now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he could, did have a fantastic season. He's probably going to win the Cy Young in the American League. Yeah, so I feel he's going to get at least two years out of this deal. I feel. Hmm. So and he's in good shape too. Yeah. So might might be might be might be one worth worth a shot worth a look at. 
Yeah, um, in old New York, he's pitched in the playoffs before. That's going to be the big factor is how well will this guy be able to handle pitching in New York? True. It's different. It's a whole different. He pitched in U- Detroit and Houston, two places they feel aren't really having high expectations to win a championship. And you are right about that, too, because apparently the Yankees have pursued him in the past, and he hasn't been too keen on either coming here as a potential free agent or coming here as a, uh, you know, in a trade. So I, I think he has kind of shied away from New York in the past. So yeah. it would be a little surprising if he could be talked in here. Yeah. Another one, if we're going to look, if we're going to look into next year, cause I'm not sure the chances of the vets trading for him this year, cause I feel they're like not really will, willing to, I feel like trading away prospects isn't a big thing they want. They're afraid to do. I feel maybe next year we could see a Shohei Otani of all people as a Met, in part because if you looked at his no trade clause, the only team willing to accept the trade to apparently is the Mets, because apparently he has faith in Billy Epler. That's in Shohei Otani's contract, really? Yeah, yeah, that he will that a no trade clause, hmm. and the only. It closed the Mets. Wow, and that does make a lot of sense because, uh, as you mentioned, he has a relationship with, with Billy Epler, where Billy Epler was one of the main guys who recruited him uh, to the Angels in the first place and and was able to sell him on the idea of going to uh, the Angels. So that, that does make a lot of sense. Wow, that's a very interesting fact. I'd love to see Otani on this team. I think maybe he feels Billy Epler could help him maybe – be able to handle being here because there'll be there'll be high expectations with that. I mean, he's done that and he's done everything he's done in Anaheim, which I'll give him credit for, but he's ever played on a team with such high ex- expectations like the Mets. It's going to be high expectations. No doubt play, about it. Put up the numbers at Otani. We're going to expect what he's doing in Anaheim. We're going to expect fans, fans are going to expect that in New York. Oh, yeah, they're definitely going to expect that. And because it's New York, they're going to expect more. You know, he had 34 home runs and drove in just about 100 runs. People in New York might be a little upset uh, because uh, he, after the big year he had last year, he hit 46. So, you know, it's a uh, it, but it would be just even this year where you could say that maybe his numbers were down slightly from last year offensively. If you put that big left handed bat in the lineup, you know, between. Alonso and Lindor, that makes the Mets lineup a whole lot deeper. And the absence of left-handed power, I mean, they, they tried to add it with, with Daniel Vogelback, but uh, the absence of left-handed power in that lineup um, is, uh, you know, pretty evident. I mean, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, even though we saw McNeil hit 23 in 2019, I think that was a lot more about the ball that year than um, than Jeff McNeil being a power hitter. He's, he, he's a gap-to-gap hitter. And uh, we saw it this year with him leading the league in batting, but he only hit nine home runs, which I, I, I have no problem with, right? <laughs> he was more trying to get base hits. Exactly. He was he was trying to get base hits and doubles. Yeah. And yeah. that was he, his strength, finally, what he needed to do all along. Another one feel that needs to be that, that, that are two players that feel that could play a factor is being the fact that they seem to be obsessed with not wanting to trade prospects. Vienos and uh, Alvarez could be potential to be a great DH, especially if this time, because next time we'll see him in a lineup, he'll probably get more more at-bats than he's been during the pennant race. Oh, yeah. I, think I agree. We'll get to maybe ease into the role – He's into being in the big leagues a little bit better during spring training. Yeah, and, and I, I, I believe that Francisco Alvarez will be the starting catcher next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I could, I just have a feeling we're gonna see some, uh, some Titanic shots at City Field. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I seen him in the minor leagues. I saw footage this year when he was in Double A AA and Triple A. And I saw him the year before when he was in the Cyclones. He was – the guy was a monster of a hitter. 
And I'm expecting once he's gotten the hang of, he hasn't really, this year, he never really got, same thing with Vienna. So he never really got a lot of time to get a hang of it. I also feel Beatty's another one that's going to get, I feel like they, once they've gotten the hang of the big, it's on. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that, man. I mean, the, and, 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 but I do think it was good that a lot, that those guys you just mentioned, Beatty, Alvarez and Vientos, that they did get a taste of the majors this year and they did get a taste of being around a winning team. And, uh, you know, even the, the other guy, uh, you know, Alvarez being the only of the three to actually get that bat in the postseason, at least they were all kind of around that, you know? So I, I think that was definitely a good learning experience for those guys. And, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, a, a lot of the same young guys too, but a, a lot of these veterans could be uh, different next year. As uh, you know, we we have all the free agents that we've mentioned. Uh, one thing, you know, there are two guys we know who are going to be there next year, and that's going to be Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso. And I do want to make a call right now. I know I'm not, I'm not the first, but I do want to make the call on this show right now to give both of those guys extensions right now. Lock up McNeil and lock up Alonso. Both those guys have done more than enough over the last couple of years to earn long term deals. You know, we see what the Braves have done down in Georgia with pretty much all their young players, the, the most recent being Strider, giving him, a, you know, a big long-term deal. Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso deserve to be taken care of. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Dan? Yep, I think so. Definitely give those paid a man. <laughs> SEC. David Ortiz keeps saying in these, uh, in these, uh, think when he does these post shows on Fox, pay the man. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> it's true. I mean, both these guys have earned it. You know, Pete Alonso, multi-time all-star. Uh, he's, he led the league in RBIs this year. Uh, you know, Jeff McNeil, multi-time all-star led the league in hitting this year. So these guys have earned it. Um, they, they deserve to be, you know, the, uh, rocks, of this Met offense and uh, really, you know, and them and, and Lindor and hopefully, um, uh, you know, Brandon Nimmo, uh, you know, and, and also too next year, a, a guy who we know is going to be there is Marte. Um, the Mets are going to have to look around and see what they're going to add. There's a, there's a couple of different things um, that would be very interesting to see. I also heard too, uh, uh, that the, the Mets might kick the tires and see if the Texas Rangers want to move Marcus Simeon. Uh, I don't know if that is going to happen because it seems like Texas, uh, even though they had a rough year, uh, I, I think they're, they're hoping that they could reset next year and, and, and still compete. But I don't know. What, what would you think about that? Then if the Mets have a chance to get uh, Marcus Simeon on a rebound after a bad year, would you be open to it? I'd be open to, I'd be open to that one. That's true, because maybe that could push Escobar to a bench situation or, or you stick Semien at second base and put McNeil in the outfield. Um, I, they, I guess there's a lot of options they, they, they would be able to do if they did make that move. But, uh, you know, that uh, it still doesn't seem likely to me because you have to depend on Texas doing a deal like that too. There are so many other things that, uh, that we could talk about with the Mets right now. I mean, um, you know, between what do you think before we move on what do you think about buck showalter's handling of uh of, of everything really i mean of not telling people about the grom starting uh you know of, of of what happened in that game with with, with checking musgrove's ear uh, what what's your assessment of buck after one full season and playoff run one full season buck has done has definitely righted the ship he made us a winner again I mean, that he had the credibility to do it, and he showed it. I feel some little decisions, like in the playoffs, I feel maybe he should have had the Grumps set the tone in game one. May have been may have been a better decision, I feel, than Scherzer. True. I, I mean, you could definitely make that argument, especially with the, with the way Max pitched. But I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that when he named Scherzer the starter for game one, I didn't even blink because I I understood going with Scherzer's, um, you know, his uh, his history. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Also, I feel I feel maybe Buck shouldn't have. I mean, with when he was behind all, when we were behind by a lot, maybe not do that whole thing that he went to with uh making the umpires check for forward substance. Musgrove check Musgrove for forward substance. Maybe not a good idea. Yeah. Debating if there was or not, I'm not sure there was. Look, uh, there's a lot of Met fans that are really trying to make the case that Joe Musgrove, um, you know, was a cheater. He completely cheated that night. Um, he did this. He did that. Look, I I don't know. I agree. His ears looked weird, and I don't know. Maybe he had something on earlier in the game and wiped it off. But to me. That that's just a stretch. It it didn't look to me like he was cheating. Uh, you know, well, at, at first it did. At first I was curious about those ears, to be honest. But you know, hey, the, the umpires came out and checked. They they rubbed his ears, they did everything that they really could. He didn't find anything on there. Um, you know, could Musgrove have gotten rid of it? Yeah, he could have, but I I don't know. It just didn't seem that way to me. And but I, I also don't kill Buck the way a lot of people, including Gary Cohen, after the game, uh, who basically said it was Bush League, what uh, Buck did, and and you know people like Kevin Kernan, who's a good sports writer, who I respect, even went as far as to say that uh, that Buck lost a lot of respect around the the game that night. And I, I understand what they're saying, but I I don't agree with that at all. I mean, don't you think that Joe Torre doesn't kick himself? for not coming out and having Kenny Rogers inspected when he was cheating in 2006, you know, with the Detroit Tigers that postseason, uh, you know, don't you think that Tory has some regret about that? I think Buck would have major regret if it turned out after the game that Musgrove wasn't cheating. Right. Or, or, or he was cheating. I'm sorry. Right. So, so yeah. I, I can't kill Buck for that. Right, Dan. Yeah. I can't kill him for that. Doing that. He just he just did what he had to. The guy was sticking up for his players. Exactly. He needed a manager to feel this team. Get I feel. I feel we we can't waste having a manager like Buck Showalter. We've got to have this team have to. We, we need we need to we need to win and be committed to winning. Yeah, yeah, and I I think Buck has done a good job of uh, changing the way things go around here and changing the feel in the clubhouse. You know, you heard Lindor talk about how people, um, are, you know, around the clubhouse, you know, respect the game more and are more prepared and uh, just seemingly have their head in the game more, uh, you know, since Buck has been around here. And I thought when I, when I heard Lindor saying that, that that was big praise to Buck because that, that goes to show that uh, even though on the outside, we might've, uh, you know, before we knew other things about Mickey Calloway too, we might've not minded guys like Mickey Calloway and Luis Rojas, but behind the scenes, maybe they weren't demanding enough of their players uh, to be as prepared as Buck Showalter is. So I, th I think that's a good thing for Buck and it, it definitely makes the, uh, the Mets seem like a more professional win oriented organization. Right, Dan? Yeah. If you just feel I feel that, and I feel by 2024, we're going to by 2024. Just my gut feeling. Hey, well, I, you know there's going to be a lot of changes this offseason, so maybe yeah. next year. <laughs> I I said that, and I feel, I feel like maybe next year could be the year we finally do it. I I felt just felt the moment Steve Cohen bought this team that we were we were we were setting or we were setting our sights for that. By 2024, we'll have at least one championship. True. And you know what? As disappointing as this ending to the season was, and frankly embarrassing as it was, you know, because, of course, everybody clowned the Mets now after the Mets lost that game. All you heard on Twitter again was LOL Mets. Uh, you know, but I can't sit here and LOL Mets because they won 101 games and lost to a tough team in the playoffs i mean sure on paper that the mets were much better than uh you know the the san diego padres but the padres had a good team to you know anything can happen in a three-game series as we're seeing right now in the lds too and everybody calls that a short series and that's five games so look the fact that the mets lost two out of three i'm extremely disappointed i'm angry 
I'm definitely angry, no doubt about it, as, uh, as, as a lot of Mets fans have the right to be. But you know what, though? It doesn't feel like Wilpon era angry, where you had to bite your fingernails and hope they were going to sign Daniel Murphy. Three years, $39 million, you couldn't give that to a guy who did that in the postseason for you and had played his entire career for you? That was ridiculous. They let him walk. And, uh, you know, we just know that in, unless the player doesn't want to come back for whatever reason, that the Mets are going to have every opportunity to bring every single player back. And that feels a lot better than it did in that Wilpon era, right, Dan? Yeah, I just feel this a lot better under this ownership than we were during the Wilpon era. Also, I have, I have to say a lot of people probably – I always tell a lot of my out-of-state, out-of-country friends that if you're looking for locals – you're more the the ones that are wearing Mets hats are more likely to be locals than the ones wearing Yankee hats. That's true. Just, anybody can wear a Yankee hat. <laughs> I can things like I feel like you see that you're likely to find be talking to a local. It's true. You're right. I definitely agree with that. Uh, in, unless it's Apu from The Simpsons who was wearing his Mets hat uh, <laughs> and said that the Nye Mets are his favorite squadron. That's, uh, that's kind of a giveaway. You know, unless you see somebody like that, then I do agree with you that uh, it probably is a local wearing a Mets hat. <laughs> Wait, a little fact about, the guy, about Apu that's a little connection to the Mets. The guy who did, does the voice of Apu, Hank Azaria, mm-hmm. he is Hank Azaria. So it's obvious he would sneak a reference to his team in that. Very true. Very true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so with that, let's move on from the Mets now, as uh, I think we dissected that, uh, you know, as, as good as we can. Um, and, you know, we've got other things to talk about right now as our New York Rangers, their season is just getting started. Um, obviously it wasn't the first game of the year. There was two games played over in Europe uh, with the, the Nashville Predators winning both of them. But the first game played in the United States this year was at Madison Square Garden, a rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals, Rangers-Lightning, and the Rangers took that game 3-1. And, you know, what did you think seeing a couple of these new guys like uh, like Trocek out there and, uh, you know, seeing Kravstov unfortunately get hurt really early on? What were your first impression of the Rangers this year? I just felt this was a better prepared team, that we were ready to up up this game to to our neck to the next level. I mean, we. I feel like this team is hungry from that coming up short like that. We got we had got to the Eastern Conference Finals. We had we were up, we got a two nothing lead going into Game Three, and we coughed up Game Three. Yeah, they should have been up three zero. You're right. Like we were struggling from there on out. So I feel this team badly want, has unfinished business, and they're just. They're they're gonna they're gonna play all the way to the last second this Rangers team, and have a very exciting hockey season. Yeah, um, and you know what? One of the really standout things from last night was too, is you know last year, and for the past couple of years really, the Rangers have had a really really tough time winning faceoffs. Uh, it was really just a struggle. You know, um, I was a big fan of Ryan Strom, but he was always a guy who's Faceoff numbers was probably right around 45% and even under that a lot of the time. Um, so I, I, I like Ryan Strom a lot, but his inability to win faceoffs really put the Rangers behind the eight ball a lot. And adding a guy like Trocek, who last night won 10 of 16 faceoffs, I think made a big difference, especially I noticed it on the power play where they scored. Trocek went and took uh, a big faceoff that kept it in the zone. And, uh, you know, that's a thing that they really didn't have last year. You have to, you had to have Mika taking a lot of those faceoffs, not letting him get into his spot where he was able just to snipe the puck last night uh, and, and get it past uh, for on, on the power play. At least he was also able to add an amazing shorthanded goal, two goals by, uh, by Zibanejad last night, really hoping that that's setting Mika up for a big season. Um but yeah, I mean, what did you see from that last night, Dan? It was uh, it was cool seeing the Rangers win so many faceoffs, right? Yeah, it was cool seeing it. I just felt like I saw a completely different team than last year. This was a very fiery team, right from the get go, right from day one. We were we were on all cylinders. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to 
being on this ride that's going to be the 2022-2023 season. It's going to, it's, it's, I'm going to be on my, on edge this whole season. No doubt about it, man. I have an even thicker playoff beard than the one I had last year. I'm hoping it gets <laughs> less. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they had a hell of a playoff run last year. You know, like, you, like, you, like you mentioned, they got to game six in the Eastern Conference Finals against the defend, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. So uh, really can't be upset with as far as they got last year. And, and they've just built on it now. And, you know, a couple of things. What did you think about Capo Caco playing on the top line last night? Uh, I really liked seeing him get that chance. He finally played, you know, 17, 18 minutes at – had some good chances there playing with Zibanejad and Kreider on that top line. I, I, I love seeing Kako give him that opportunity. Yeah, I was loving that too. I was loving it. I mean, I was just loving seeing Kako get, get that opportunity as well. We were like, I just feel overall, we just looked a lot different this year than last year. Yeah. And, and then even too, I, I, I was a little skeptical of giving um, Kravstov the, the second line right wing spot, you know, initially, I, uh, I, I wasn't too sure about that. I, I didn't think that he had a good enough preseason and doesn't have a good enough re- a resume overall to get that, that spot right off the bat, but they, they gave him the opportunity. And unfortunately he got hurt almost immediately. I really don't understand how that, that Victor Hedman play wasn't at least a roughing and maybe even holding against the boards there. It was very, uh, very strange uh, that nothing was even called and uh, especially after he got hurt. And, um, you know, also too, I mean, Hedman's a a rough player to begin with. So uh, it also says that you just hope that maybe Kravstoff isn't one of these guys who comes out to be, uh, you know, a little injury pro off the bat. So got to keep your fingers crossed there. I hope he's okay. Um, But, you know, what did you think about uh, after that, after his injury, they bumped up Alexi Lafreniere, who normally would play on the left side, they, they had him playing right wing on that second line with Panarin and Trocek. I thought that was an interesting combination too. I think that's an important one. I feel he's going to get even bigger. It's going to get better price time Lafreniere is getting, hopefully this time this year. So I'm expecting big things from Lafreniere this year. Yeah, I really hope, you know, be, before the season, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately he hasn't really blown me away yet. I haven't, I, I was hoping to see maybe a big preseason out of him where he really, really stood out and, uh, you know, really took me by storm, almost kind of like, you know, like Jimmy Vesey really impressed me in this preseason. And I, I was very happy they gave him the contract that he made the team. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Jimmy Vesey. He does all the little things. I, I, I like him being on this team. I think he also has a, a chance to score some goals if given the opportunity. Um you know, on, on the other hand, uh, you know, Lafreniere, I haven't really seen too much yet. He had a couple of good opportunities yesterday, so my, my hopes are high from him. But uh, he's a guy the Rangers really need to have a breakout season this year, right? Exactly. I feel that the, his, his – his, Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's all going to depend. Uh, on another guy too that they have, um, especially if he's going to be playing right wing for an extended period of time, uh, we really need to see our Temi Panarin uh, be able to grab the game by the horns again. I mean, no, I'm not taking away anything Panarin did yet did last year. Uh, you know, he had 74 assists, fourth most in the NHL, 96 points. He was right up there with all the top players. Um, you know, but he only had 22 goals, and when his first year when he came here. Uh, he had 32 goals. He was, uh, you know, just unstoppable that season from both ends. The Rangers need to see more of that first-year Panarin than they've seen from the last couple of years. Um, you know, and he even said that he needs to add, you know, a little. He, he's, he's, he's had a little bit of a passive nature in his game the last year or two because, especially with the Rangers trying to win, he didn't want to make any costly mistakes, uh, you know, by his high-risk, high-reward play style sometimes. Uh, and the Rangers really need to see the best of Panarin now, right, Dan? Yeah, exactly. Maybe he needs to take a little more of a chance this year. Yeah, yeah, just, just you know, maybe I, I understand in the playoffs 
you know, toning it down a little bit, uh, you know, which unfortunately could affect his production there too. Um, and it did, but he still had a couple of big goals this postseason, as we remember, he closed out Pittsburgh. So, you know, he just has to play smart, but maybe in the regular season, take more chances because the Rangers definitely need that dynamic Artemi Panarin to compete in the top half of the league this year, you know? Yeah, exactly. And ho- hopefully it, hopefully we, we, everyone was up to expectations and we could have a monster year. No doubt about it. And, and another guy who set himself up to have a monster year last night, um, you know, aside from, uh, you know, a couple of the guys we mentioned so far, like, especially as um, is, uh, Igor Shesterkin. I mean, how could you mention the Rangers and their win last night and the Rangers overall as a team and not mention Igor? Um, the guy has really just been so good since he got to the NHL with this team. And last night was no different. He looked at the top of his game, only, uh, you know, over 30 shots. Um, or, or, no, no, I'm sorry. It was close, close to 30 shots, though. He, he only allowed one goal. It was on the power play, which you can't knock him for. I mean, you know, what goalie at this point hasn't allowed a power play goal to Stephen Stamkos. So you can't knock him for that. Um, but the, the guy did such a great job. He kept the Rangers in the game until they were able to score a couple of goals late and take control. And um, you have to just give all the credit in the world to Igor. Uh, looks like he's going to be in the, in the line, you know, in the, uh, the running for a second straight Vezina again this year. And I, I would expect nothing less, right, Dan? Exactly. I would expect nothing less than a Vesna season from Igor. He's been I mean, the the season's gonna start and end with how well he is at goal at goal at goal at goal. No doubt about it, man. If he slips in play, you know, even a little bit, this Rangers team could be in big, big trouble because um, you know, even though we hope that they can have a balanced scoring unit, they do seem kind of top heavy, especially when, you know, you're running a fourth line out there right now of Ryan Carpenter um, tomorrow against Minnesota, at least it looks like it's going to be Ryan Carpenter at center, uh, Dryden Hunt coming into the lineup for the first time this year because, um, you know, obviously they, they uh, didn't have him start game one with uh, with Kraustov in the lineup. Kraustov coming out, puts him in down on the fourth line, though. Um, and, you know, they, uh, they're going to elevate Goodrow. They're going to elevate Lafreniere. So it, it'll definitely have ripples throughout the lineup, not having Kravstov in there. Um, and you, you just got to hope that you can get enough scoring from that top six because the bottom six is going to be a little weak. I mean, Dryden Hunt, Ryan Carpenter, and Ryan Reeves on your fourth line might be a gritty line, might be a, a good line that's going to put a hurt on those guys, but they're not going to be putting up big numbers offensively. And uh, you just got to hope that maybe that that third line that that's being centered by uh, – uh, Philip Heedle can maybe get something going uh, in the top nine there. But um, I don't know, that, that that bottom six seems a little weak to me offensively, right, Dan? Yeah, exactly. I feel that bottom six might be a little bit of a sketchy point of our team this year. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be, you know, uh, probably dependent on um, some some late trades, too, to fill that bottom six out. And, you know, one guy that I'm always going to have my eye on right now uh, who's on a one-year deal, uh, if the Ottawa Senators aren't having a good year, would be bringing Tyler Mott back because I think you throw him into that bottom six. And I don't know how much he's going to add offensively, but uh, he's definitely going to have, have a little bit more of that bite that you'd like the Rangers to have for a playoff run, you know, like he added last year. So uh, uh, I would look for that, too, because I think the Rangers liked they got out of him last year. And even though – they couldn't fit him into the budget this year. I could see him coming in in the future. What do you think about that? Yeah, do see a lot of big eyes all on that that trade deadline when it gets to that point of the season. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, uh, we're just about to wrap up over here too. Uh, you know, but I I did want to talk about the uh, the Yankees be before we get out of here. Unfortunately, we do have to talk a little bit about the Yankees. Um, as you know, they, they won their first playoff game last night, 4-1 against Cleveland. Garrett Cole looked pretty good. Um, you know, they, uh, they got some home runs, one from Harrison Bader, came in a midseason trade, obviously, where they gave up Jordan Montgomery. Uh, by the way, the Cardinals who made that trade aren't playing anymore. So Harrison, definitely happy that he's on the, uh, the Yankees at the moment um, from Bronxville, New York. So 
you know, kind of feels like a hometown thing to him. Um, also, too, they got another big home run from uh, from Anthony Rizzo, who uh, the Yankees are getting some production from. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys. Uh, well, what did you think of that win last night, Dan? I mean, a lot of these big names showing up for the Yankees, and uh, they, they come away with a 4-1 win. Really doesn't look like Cleveland has much punch offensively. How, uh, how do you expect that series to go down? I feel like Cleveland just looks overmatched. I was saying that. I mean, I'm, I was, like, talking to someone I know from Cleveland, and I was saying, I'm sorry, but, like, Cleveland looks overmatched in a series. I mean, as much as I'm a Met fan that does not like the Yankees so much, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I had no, I have no, I mean, I respect Yankee fans at all, but it's like I, I, I'm a Met fan. I really can't root for the Yankees. It's not, it's not in my DNA to do that. <laughs> but they look, Cleveland just looks overmatched in this playoffs, and I really, honestly feel. The toughest competition, well, I think the National League, there's more tough competition in the National League than there is in the AL. I think competition in the American League for the Yankees could be Houston. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I think what we're really heading towards right now is a um, a, a Yankees-Houston ALCS. You know, the, the Mariners could have dealt them a big blow, but, boy, what a crazy comeback win. They had, uh, you know, the the, the Astros did um, the other day as as you know, Seattle was cruising. They were up big, uh, and then be, before you know it, it's eight to five in the ninth inning, and they uh, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, it was seven to five in the ninth inning, and Jordan Alvarez crushes a walk off three run home run against Robbie Ray, who took over for former Met Paul Seawald. Um, so boy, I mean. That was such a crazy turn of events because it looked like that the Mariners were going to cruise to a game one win, and uh, Cleveland said not so fast. And uh, the, the the Yankees didn't even let Cleveland dream. <laughs> um, Cleveland was uh, you know taken out pretty easily in this game, but but by the Yanks four to one, and both big teams lead one games to none. So I think we're looking at a Yankees Astros ALCS, and it seems like you agree with that, right, Dan? Yeah, it looks like I agree with that. I mean, I looked, I looked at the highlights of that game that Houston Seattle game, and that was like, whoa, they really like it. it looks like they uh, have, I don't know, they have that playoff experience. I feel that they were able to pull mount that comeback. Yeah, I don't know why they put Robbie Ray in that spot too, man. I mean, I I understand that. They were up against it, and Paul Sewell looked like he wasn't getting the job done. And who else he get to turn to? But putting Robbie Ray in that spot was just such a a, a predictable thing to me that he was going to fail in that spot because Robbie Ray's not used to that. He hasn't done that all year. You know, he's uh he you don't know what you're going to get out of him when you put him in a spot like that. So I I thought that was a very poor choice uh, by 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 the Mariners, but um you know, really awesome, awesome win for, for the Astros. And, you know, that's the same thing, too. I did want to make that comparison. You know, we were talking about Scherzer earlier with the Mets, kind of putting the Mets in a hole where he got knocked around four innings, seven runs. Well, guess what Justin Verlander did in game one? Four innings, seven runs. The same thing Max Scherzer did. And guess what the difference was between his teams? His team showed up offensively, backed him up, and got him off the hook. Now, I'm not saying that Scherzer deserved to get off the hook, but guess what? If the Mets were as good offensively as we saw at times this year, they would have done exactly what the Houston Astros did, chip away and then finally have a big inning and win the game. And the Mets just weren't able to do that. They weren't able to back up their ace like the Astros were with their winning pedigree. Kind of Billy up where maybe should have made some better moves during that trading deadline, I feel, because if you're going – really need to make those moves and i don't know if the small moves were the necessary moves that needed to be made yeah yeah i totally agree with you i mean the darren ruff move that was terrible like the the mets gave up more for darren ruff if you look at on paper the mets gave up more for darren ruff than the atlanta braves gave up to the anaheim angels to get raciel iglesias who is still currently making a big impact positively on their bullpen and and the Mets couldn't touch since they got him. So, uh, you know, 
that that that's a win for the Braves and that's a big L for the Mets. Darren Ruff was terrible as a Met. Um, you know, Daniel Vogelback had his moments and he's probably going to be back next year. Ruff won't, but Vogelback will because I I I believe that he still is arbitration eligible. So I don't think that uh, that the Mets could lose him unless they choose not to give him arbitration or whatever, just let him become a free agent. So um, I guess that isn't a decision to be made. I doubt they let him walk though. Um, Vogelback had his moments last year. If, if it was up to you, Dan, what, what, what do you think? Would you uh, keep Vogelback in the, in the fold or would you let him walk? I probably let Vogelback in the fold, but I feel on the days that Alvarez has off, Maybe Alvarez would be DHing a bit more when uh, when Alvarez is behind the plate. Yeah, especially against lefties. Too, you you, you throw him in there, and uh, you, you know you just know that uh, that that Alvarez is going to take a couple of big swings. Um, no doubt about that. Um, you know, so hey, that that's where we're at right now. The uh, the Yankees now don't play until tomorrow night. So I mean, if people are watching this, it'll be tonight that you'll be watching the Yankee game. What's that, Dan? weather permitting because i hear the weather is going to be a little sketchy i've heard from some i've been seeing some yankee fans that have tickets to the game are worried about the weather tomorrow really okay okay well well you know let's hope they're able to get the game in because you know it stinks getting playoff games washed out so and yet plus i feel it also is a pain in the as as much as i i much much i don't like the yankees i feel it is a pain in the ass for the people we have to go through a lot of work to make the these games happen. I mean, beyond the beyond the baseball part of it, everything that that needs to be done to get the stadium ready for game day. You know, all the people that are working there, it's a pain in the ass for people to have to be there longer than they have to, having to be there extra days. No doubt so, about it. No doubt about it, man. And uh, you know, and then it's especially too for the fans showing up. It's always last second to cancel it because the last thing they want to do is cancel it. Plus, got to remember another thing. This is New York, a city that leans heavily on public transportation. The MTA puts in a lot of effort to make sure that the trains are running on game day. True. I don't know about the reputation at Yankee Stadium, but I know at City Field, they will always have extra trains. Like going to the game, they'll have plenty of trains going to the game. And on the return trip, they'll have plenty extra trains on the return trip. That's true. They those off as much as possible without a hitch to handle the high tra- amount of traffic that's going to be crowding the train stations on game day. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of work goes into that. So, so uh, you know. I believe they do the same thing on the four train. I, I, I believe so. No I, doubt about it. And there's a lot of work the MPA goes through to make sure those trains are running, to make sure the transportation is the, the main transportation that stops at that stadium is coordinated properly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. So, hey, let's just hope the Yankees are able to get that game in tomorrow. It's going to be a real interesting matchup, too, as uh, it's going to be uh, Yankees-Guardians, obviously, game two. Uh, 7.30 tomorrow night, and uh, it's going to be uh, Bieber, who, you know, he had a decent season this year, 13-8, and 2.88 ERA, going against Nasty Nestor Cortez, who – Brings his twelve and four and two point four four ERA into that game. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be a really cool matchup uh, tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium. Um, the the other matchup going on tomorrow is uh, Astros and Mariners. So we both pretty much made our picks in those series. We think it's going to be Astros Yankees coming out. But for the other ones, before we get out of here, Dan, because we're just about to wrap up, who's your pick? Uh, Atlanta or Philly? You think uh, Philly's going to pull that off, or, or you pick the Braves? I think maybe Philly might be pulling this one off a little bit. I think they really? might be running a lot of hot momentum going into this. As much as I don't like the Phillies, but they but also. But I feel it could be Phillies Dodgers. Wow! So they, very very interesting. They, Shades of the old days back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, exactly. Might be, might end a little bit different because I feel that Los Angeles has a bit more pitching than Philly does. So, you, so you're picking the Dodgers to get through the uh, the Padres too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I think that the Padres won't even win a game that series, which also, by the way, would be a kick in the balls to the Mets because I hear everybody talking about how good the Padres are, 
don't forget, Padres got this, Padres got that. If the Padres don't even manage to win a game against the Dodgers, that makes the Mets look even worse. So let's get that out of the way. And uh, and with the uh, Phillies, you're you're picking the Phillies over the Braves, you said? Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm actually picking the Braves. I, I, I don't expect the Phillies to beat the Braves. I'd be very surprised. And uh, game two of that is just about to get underway right now. Uh, Dodgers and Padres will be later tonight in both American League games. Uh, pick up tomorrow night. So, uh, hey, uh, I, I think we did a great job tonight, Dan. We covered a lot of ground. Be- before we get out of here, do you have anything to plug? For my uh, my uh, Twitter, Bobo103NYC on Twitter, Bobo718DK on Instagram, Daniel Curlin on YouTube. That's right. Uh, make sure to check out Dan all over there. And also, if, if you didn't watch um, yesterday's um, or two days ago, uh, Davey Mac Sports Program, we will include that in the description for tonight's episode, so check that out. Dan's appearance was great. A lot of fun. In mind, don't take the stuff I said on the show seriously, because <laughs> I be saying a joke. You know how the Dave show works. Exactly. It's for the show. It's for the show. So come on. It's a, it, it's a lot of fun. So if, if you have a good sense of humor and you want to see an absolutely hilarious show that's about sports, check out the Davey Mac Sports Program, especially Dan's appearance uh, earlier this week. Uh, and, and if you want, before we get out of here, uh, check me out on Twitter at my last name, Kramer and why, and uh, don't forget to check out the uh, show too on Twitter at Sith underscore podcast. And also on Instagram at best seat in the house podcast. So once again, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next week on best seat in the house podcast. <laughs>